Hi, this is Gordon Russell, host of The Neutral Ground, the New Orleans Advocate's weekly podcast on the stories behind some of the stories that are making waves in South Louisiana this week. Thanks to our sponsors, Gardner Realtors, and thank you for joining us. Hello, on today's edition of The Neutral Ground, I'll be joined by LaToya Cantrell, the mayor of the city of New Orleans. We'll talk about her ongoing negotiation slash public argument with the uh, tourism industry in New Orleans about the distribution of tax money. And after that, I'll be joined by Jeff Adelson, our City Hall reporter, and he and I will talk a little bit about uh, where things stand with this uh, struggle between the city and the tourism industry. And after that, uh, Ramon Vargas will stop by to talk about the uh, shooting in downtown New Orleans Sunday night that left five people injured and an accused armed robber dead. Uh, Thanks for joining us. All right. Well, joining me today is a special guest, the mayor of New Orleans, LaToya Cantrell. Um, Thanks for agreeing to speak with me, Ms. Mayor. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Good afternoon. Um, So I wanted to jump right into what I think is maybe the most interesting topic in city government right now, which is kind of your ongoing, uh, I don't want to call it an argument, but a negotiation kind of with the tourism industry about who gets the money, how the money is allocated. And you've made no secret of your view that, that a disproportionate amount of the public resources in the city go to that industry. Um, You've, you've pioneered this hashtag fair share to talk about it. Um, You've been critical of this plan to build a new hotel next to the convention center, partially with public money. Um, Give me an idea of what you see as out of whack or how far out of whack are our priorities on this. Sure. Well, definitely I'm not coming from an argumentative or trying to be uh, start an argument. I'm only looking at the facts and the existing conditions of our city. And we absolutely need to grow in order to survive. We do need to play to our strengths. And the tourism industry is one of the greatest strengths in the city of New Orleans. So this is not an attack on tourism. I came from tourism, you know, laundry, front desk, night, all the comps, you name it. So I've been in the trenches there. But it is, we're faced with the reality, the harsh reality that our infrastructure in the city is is way below being substandard uh, and this has to change and this has been something that has been going on for decades generation after generation so i'm just saying let's pick up the can that's been kicked as far as it can go and we're going to have to own the infrastructure needs in this city and so um, when we know that um, very little dollars if any is going towards drainage in the city uh, we know that we're losing over 48% of our fresh water just in breakages. Mm-hmm. Uh, in any given day, we can have a breakage that we just saw several weeks ago cost almost a million dollars to repair. Mm-hmm. It literally could have put us in really the East Bank out of water and, and having to boil water for an upward of two to three weeks. But because of the hardworking men and women of Sewage and Water Board, we were able to rectify that problem to where that boil water advisory did not uh, get issued, but you know what it cost us a million bucks. Mm-hmm. And so every single day, uh, these things can come about because of the uh, the fractured in- infrastructure that we have in the city. Would it be fair to say, do you think that the things like the hotel project are more of a 
of a wish list type thing, whereas this other stuff is these other things are are basic needs that aren't being taken oh, care of. Absolutely, basic needs are and should be the top priority. Uh, all of it, it's the foundation in which we live. If we can't, uh, you know, flush toilets in hotels and and uh, drink, you know, quality water, then it impacts everything. Right. And so it for me, it's a no brainer. It's common sense, but it also makes good business sense since hospitality is the number one industry driving the state of Louisiana. And so we just need to reinvest in it. Do you think, are you surprised that the tourism industry hasn't seemed to be more concerned with that? Or do you, I mean, in other words, it would be if, if what you had described with the water situation mm-hmm. had happened and there had been boil water advisories for three weeks, presumably that would have been a disaster mm-hmm. for tourism. Do you think that they ought to be as concerned about this as you are in terms of what it could do to tourism? Oh, absolutely. I think that it is it affects business, you know, just as it it affects just our daily livelihood. Uh, So there is a self-interest here that's on their side, Mm -hmm. just as it is on my side, looking to protect and serve the citizens of New Orleans and also just doing the due diligence of understanding that this major fix, meaning our infrastructure across the board, roads, streets, drainage, pipe, tra- pipes, transportation, you know, all housing, all of it is that. Um, but with the needs here, it really forces us to look at ways that we can use the revenue that's currently generated in the city mm-hmm. that and, and targeted towards basic city services. And so that's what I'm looking to do. And fair share is also about looking internally, meaning internally inside of ourselves, the city government, Mm -hmm. where we can cut costs, where we can be more efficient Mm -hmm. and where we can do a better job with the taxpayers dollars. So that's on the table. Right. And I've been moving in, in, in initiatives in a very tangible way to where we're seeing, you know, results there. But the city can't do it alone. And especially when the city does not benefit from the majority of the revenue generated here. You know, 1.5% of those tourism dollars come through the city. Mm-hmm. And 70% goes to four different agencies uh, that are not elected, that have little accountability because of the non-elected status, right. um, that have boards to determine where the money goes. And it makes us feel like they're doing us a favor by helping the city. So, and I'm not attacking them, <laughs> but this is something that we have to look at differently so that all of us, so that our city can win mm-hmm. and so that our city can take care of herself. Well, let's talk about brass tax for a minute. I mean, you, you've, I think you've said that we need another ideally 80 to a hundred million dollars per year. To, 80 to a hundred million dollars a year to one. Uh, fix infrastructure uh, to make the necessary repairs that are needed, getting us off of generating our own power through steam uh, to saving dollars in that route in terms of like a partnership with Entergy. We're paying four times the amount now generating our own and also recognizing that in this process, the drinking water that we have coming out of our our, uh, faucets is the same water that's being used to cool our turbines. Right. So this, we have to get out of this. And and this is a sea change, but it's going to cost money. Right. But now is the time to do it. And what of the 80 to $100 million, have you got a figure in mind for how much you think that the tourism industry, these 
these entities you mentioned could contribute to that? Well, what I'm what I'm looking for on the front end of this, I am looking for some upfront. Mm-hmm. We need about seventy five million upfront dollars, and then with some reoccurring. Okay. If I can get an upward of forty million from the industry. I'm making a commitment to finding other ways to where the city can generate those dollars. And even if it's going back to the people, but I cannot go to the people asking them to pay more than they're already paying without showing them results and showing them that we're using the money that they're already investing, using it wisely. And let me tell you, the taxpayers here are paying. Mm -hmm. You know, in 2013, rates increased and every year they go up. 19 is another year. The residents are paying more. 2020, Mm -hmm. go up again. So it's about showing people that based on what's generated off of their backs in New Orleans, how can we reinvest some of those dollars back into New Orleans so that we all can win? Okay. Now let's talk some more brass tacks. You, do you have any actual leverage over any of this? I know you're the mayor of the Mm -hmm. city, but these boards, as you said, are a lot of them are accountable to the governor or whoever they're not accountable, answerable to you. Do you have any, I realize you have a bully pulpit, but do do you have any actual leverage you can use? Well, I mean, well, first of all, absolutely. I believe we have leverage because the citizens of of the city are, are being educated. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're like, wow, they had no idea, but they were absolutely frustrated (laughs) with the lack of infrastructure where they live, but didn't realize the city wasn't getting a share. Mm -hmm. Um, so that we can make things better. Um, we have authority in terms of our New Orleans City Council. Uh, we can uh, pass laws to uh, redirect uh, some of the dollars that are flowing. So an example is even looking at the DDD, for example. We have not increased to the level that the taxpayers have authorized in an upward of 2, 2.5%. And so we can increase that. That'll get us a little about seven million. We have to look at every layer that we can come up with this additional 40 million a year and everything is on the table, all options, even as it looks to, you know, that that additional penny uh, that the New Orleans City Council voted on years ago Mm -hmm. so that we can build the dome and and benefit from it, meaning the state and even the city, our people, the business owners. But now we're looking at uh, really... uh, putting that back on so that the city can receive uh, those dollars. Uh, we're looking at ways, one, to level the playing field for short-term rentals in the city. Uh, that it, they pay the same taxes mm-hmm. that our hotels pay, you know, making it more equitable. Um, we're looking at even, you know, that food and beverage tax. Now we get zero dollars of that and everyone pays into it. Uh, but there's a, a, a way that you can, you know, you can take it to the voters and they can repeal that. Yeah. So what about the hotel project? Can you knock that off track if you want to? Well, well, I don't have a vote on the convention center, although I do right. have one member that's, well, three members that um, are appointed by the mayor, two are recommended by the industry, so it's still their mm-hmm. people, and then one um, who is there. So a vote and and having control of that, no. Do you have any other leverage over? Other the, leverage is using the public, uh, really the, the the weight of the public. Okay. Uh, being on that offense, you know, and even using them on that defense side. It's not good sense for the people of this city, and absolutely when it comes to variances that need to be passed by the New Orleans City Council to make this hotel work, Um, uh, tax incentives that they're looking uh, for to offset expenses for the developer. 
They're looking for 40 years exempt status. So we have a voice and we it's also have sense. authority, but it doesn't make good sense. And the people understand that. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about facing me as mayor. Yeah. It's really now about facing the citizens of, the, of this city who have more power um, than they even imagined that they, they have. And I'm sure it's not lost on you that there's a governor's race this year as mm -hmm. well. And even though, I mean, the governor came to visit our newspaper recently and he indicated he was at this point sort of four square on the side of the tourism industry when it comes to this fight. I don't know if that's mm -hmm. the impression you've gotten from him, but he also does have to face the voters this year. I mean, do you think this all plays into I mean, is this a case that you want to make to voters that they need to make the governor hurt? Well, hear voters, them like I said, voters are awakened, you know, at this time. And um, we know what our needs are as well. And so I'm asking people to stand with the city of New Orleans because te I, I tell you, the direction of the state is impacted by where the city of New Orleans is. Mm -hmm. And so where we are now is that the governor has made a commitment to work with me. Uh, on determining what the next steps are as relates to revenue coming to the city, but to infrastructure. Mm -hmm. uh, it is something that he has uh, determined is a priority. So it's not just a priority for me. It is for him. Uh, he has agreed to create a small working group around the revenue uh, generation and I ask that that uh, task force come up with a recommendation in 30 days, meaning we don't have time. Right. Time is of the essence. But he agreed to that. Mm -hmm. So that matters. So there's hope. There's hope that um, New Orleans will not only get our fair share, but that we'll get the infrastructure improvements that we need so that the whole state can win. Okay. So okay. thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time. No, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Okay, well, up next is Jeff Adelson, the City Hall reporter for The Advocate. Thanks for uh, taking a few minutes, Jeff. Uh, thanks for having me. So um, I wanted to get your take on some of what the mayor said, um, given that you've been paying close attention to this whole thing. Um, and perhaps the, the newest wrinkle we've seen here is uh, she announced this a few days ago and, and mentioned it again, that, that the governor has agreed to this uh, set up this panel that's going to study this issue about, about how the money will be split up. What do, you, do you take that as a positive sign and what more do we know about the sort of the makeup of this panel and when they're going to report back and does it have any actual authority and things like that? Sure. We, we don't know a, a ton about exactly uh, what the makeup of this panel is uh, or, or even the timeline for uh, when, uh, when it'll make a uh, recommendation. This seems to be sort of an attempt to come to some sort of compromise. Uh, the panel itself is trying to figure out um, or at least according to the governor's office, the panel has been charged with trying to find about $75 million um, that, uh, that could go as an immediate infusion of cash into the sewerage and water board. It's unclear whether all of that would be for capital projects or operating expenses or whatever, but that's their main goal. Uh, the mayor's also said, talked about uh, how she wants the panel and the governor and, and other state entities to try and come up with a way to raise $40 million that would go toward New Orleans infrastructure that isn't going there right now, uh, which is 
potentially a much harder lift. That's uh, an ongoing revenue stream that she's looking for. $40 million for. a year. $40 million a year, yeah. To, until the end of time, sort of. Uh, as far as we know, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, um, so, and, and she's promised, I should say, that the city would kick in as much or more in additional spending that would probably come from things like a drainage fee or taxes or things like that. So if the state were to, were to kick in money to this immediate infrastructure fix where, I, I mean, she's obviously pointed to the convention center in particular and also the Superdome a little bit, but the convention center is sitting on the biggest pile of money and this hotel project is sort of an obvious target perhaps for, you know, that that could be put on hold and the money could be taken from there. But I should say the governor, as I mentioned to the mayor, seems pretty cool to this idea so far. And when he came by the advocate recently, he he said he thought this money that's sort of generated for the benefit of the tourism industry should stay within the tourism industry and that that's an industry that's succeeding right now and so on and so forth. So if if he believes that, I mean, it's possible he's having a change of heart, but maybe you can tell us whether you think he's having a change of heart or whether the money would, whether he still believes that and whether the money would come from somewhere else. I, I, I don't think he's necessarily having a change of heart. I do think he probably wants to come to some sort of solution on this, especially uh, with the election coming up later this year. New Orleans is obviously an important part of He needs to win by a lot of votes here, yeah. yeah. And being in a public fight with the mayor uh, does not necessarily endear you to a lot of the voters in New Orleans. So I think he does want to come to some sort of resolution. With the governor focusing on this $75 million, that potentially is an easier lift for him. You know, you can a one-time payment, there's a lot more sources that you can go after outside of the convention center or the Superdome, which again, the governor doesn't want to touch their funding sources. Um, when you're talking about recurring payments, things get a little trickier. Um, there's potential for for some coming up with some money there, but um, right now the governor's office has said that's not really something that they're ready to discuss, and that's not hmm. really within the scope of what they're, um, they're trying to fix right now. It's interesting in a way because it would seem to me that for the rest of the state, if I'm from upstate Louisiana, I might be more annoyed at the idea that the state is going to put up money to fix the infrastructure of New Orleans, like from the capital budget, which I realize is used for all manner of local projects. But I mean, that versus taking money from some other entities within New Orleans and moving it into the sewage and water board, for instance, the, some, the, the convention center. Now, I realize the convention center is a creature of the state, but it's, it's a creature of the state that's located in New Orleans, and it would seem almost more palatable to an upstate legislator to me to move money from the convention center over to the sewage and water board than to just take money from the state budget. I, I think that's, that's right. Um, however, it is worth stressing, as you point out, that the capital budget is typically used. Uh, the capital outlay budget is typically used for lots of local projects, and um, so there's ample precedent for this. Yeah, I mean, yeah. even when even when there uh, it, it goes to projects that are nominally under the state, they're often things that specifically benefit one community or another. Almost. All of them are things that benefit one community or another. And there's always a lot of fighting over the capital budget. And over sort of the fairness of why are we, because one community 
didn't take care of its own needs or what have you, we're now going to pay for repairs, essentially. And a, and a lot of Louisiana communities, smaller ones in New Orleans, are going through a lot of this right now with, right. with water systems that don't work and really kind of some major public health crises, I think. Right, right. And there's a legitimate debate about, well, is it the state's job to come in and bail these places out, or is or is some of this the fault of local governance? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's certainly an issue that, that we're seeing statewide. I would like to also um, take a different angle on, on what you were saying before, though, which is if you are a uh, state legislator from uh, from somewhere up north or whatever. Funky, say. Funky. Um, and the state comes in and says, we want to take money from tourism and you're being lobbied hard by tourism entities in New Orleans who are telling you that tourism in New Orleans is important to Bunky for, you know, the various reasons that it get, brings people to the state and brings right. it, gets interest in the state and that sort of thing. Um, that can also influence you against it. And you may not care one way or the other about what the sewage and water board is doing or whether the, the toilets are, flush in New right. yeah. so no it's true know, and i think the the hospitality industry does have a lot of a lot of power yeah and and they do have an argument anyway whether it's true or not that that more tourists in new orleans benefits the state in that all this you know generates more sales tax and so forth right. and so you can make an argument that that's a better investment for bunky than say fixing the streets in new orleans arguably yeah okay well um thanks for uh Get taken a few minutes to help us uh, wade through that, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you. All right, I'm joined now by Ramon Antonio Vargas, uh, the advocate's indefatigable, did I pronounce that right, crime reporter. I think so. <laughs> um, <clears throat> never actually said it out loud. I've just seen it written. Anyway, uh, Ramon, thanks for coming by. Um, you uh, had a big story today about uh, some the events of Sunday night in which uh, – a gunman was shot by police and and five other people were shot as well some of them perhaps by police we're not sure about that yet but walk us through what we know about what happened and what we know about the man who was killed yeah so the the man who was killed hasn't been um, officially identified but our sources uh indicate to us and other outlets have followed us in this reporting that um the suspect is uh reginald romero bursey He's uh has ties to Houston. Um, he's a New Orleanian. He's a New Orleanian based with ties, in Houston with ties to Houston and um, and authorities there uh, describe him as a a member of a of a gang in uh, in Houston that is affiliated to the uh, the Bloods. Uh-huh. And um, he came under scrutiny here, according to our sources, um, because he uh, investigators in New Orleans determined that he had used. Uh, at least one credit card that was stolen in a recent armed robbery at a store, um, I guess. Uh, and the armed robbery took place in New Orleans, in New Orleans correct? Yeah. correct, and had used it there okay. at, at a store. And then um, the police, the store employee, um, had notified police that he uh, he had come by this weekend. And, uh, and so they were canvassing the area looking for him, um, and, and they found him, um, I guess, near Canal and South Rampart Streets. Mm-hmm and try to stop him there. Um, they recognized his shoes among other things. I mean, they, they, they knew what he looked like, right? Uh-huh. And, and the distinctive clothes, distinctive clothes that he was wearing, including uh, flower, uh, flower-printed shoes, uh-huh. uh, caught their attention and kind of helped single him out. They tried to stop him uh, near Canal and South Rampart, 
um, according to uh, attorneys, uh, an attorney representing um, a couple of the officers involved, his name is Donovan Levicaria, the Fraternal Order of Police, says that um, that uh, at that point, uh, the man we now know to be Percy uh, started running toward um, Canal and Elk, mm-hmm. uh, Canal Street and Elk Place, which uh, there's a very busy bus station there. Mm-hmm. Um, he was uh, firing at the officers while he ran. The officers fired back. And uh, there were five bystanders at the bus sta- at the bus stop who were who were injured. Um, Bercy runs up Elk Place, um, goes to uh, takes a right on Tulane, uh, hides behind some uh, bushes near Tulane Medical Center. Mm-hmm. They, the police corner him there, um, and uh, he uh, refuses to surrender despite their commands to do so. Uh, he allegedly fires at the uh, police. And uh, who returned fire and NOPD says that it was a state trooper who was helping patrol the CBD area who fired the fatal shot. Gotcha. And so in the crossfire here, we had five people injured who were sort of in or around that bus stop. And how are those people doing? Uh, Mostly, I think three have been have been released um, uh, as of Monday afternoon and uh, and two remained hospitalized. One had a what sounded it was a 17 year old uh, woman. Mm-hmm. Had a, a sound like a pretty. She was in critical condition. She yeah. was uh, she was critically injured. They said, but um, but stable, which is a term that um, that the hospitals use to uh, indicate somebody that at least isn't getting worse. And then also, um, there was another man who had believe had been shot in the abdomen mm-hmm. uh, and uh, somewhere else in the upper body. Okay, um, if I remember correctly, who was also um, critically injured and remained hospitalized. And the. The decision to, well, it may not, may not have been a decision, but the, the police decision to, let's call it a decision for now, to engage this guy or to, to try to apprehend him, is that coming under any question? Sure. I mean, I think any time um, police take an action that results in, in, in a gun battle uh, in a busy area that leaves mm-hmm. people that weren't involved injured, um, it's going to... Uh, it's going to invite second guessing, um, and, and and we don't know yet. I should say whether how much of this was friendly fire, but we believe perhaps some of it was. It hasn't that had that possibility hasn't been ruled out. That's what uh-huh. we could say. Okay, um, you know, and, and I think uh, the the advocate, you know, the the police union attorneys obviously know that their clients are often second guessed. Um, at at the same time, we did speak to a um, a, a professor at John Jay. Um, College of Criminal Justice, who uh, was a former N- NYPD sergeant, a guy by the name of Joe Jackalone, who uh, who says it's it's a tough position because um, they know that they know that he's an armed robbery suspect. Um, police said that he was at least of interest to two armed robberies in Central City in recent days. One was a carjacking that was reported on Saturday, and um, and then we also know that um, that Bercy was wanted uh, in. Police didn't tell us this, but in, in through our reporting, we know that that Bercy was wanted in connection with a, a robbery in, in Houston, robbing mm-hmm. two people in Houston. It was also a carjacking, right? Um, and so that warrant was pending on him. So, and you, then of course you got a, a guy firing a weapon in, at in, in a, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the the question it's often sort of like uh, this often comes up when the police chase somebody in a car and then something bad happens, and it's sort of a question of. Uh, it's not a question of whether this guy should have been apprehended or not, but whether this, um, sit, you know, whether this was the wrong location to have such a confrontation. Although I realize the police may not have been been able to control that completely. I mean, the whole speaking to you know their attorney, um, speaking to the attorney of some of the of at least some of the officers who were involved, and to um, Professor Jack alone. I mean, I think the the hope 
is that, um, you know, most of the time somebody is outnumbered by the police comes up and, um, and, and quits, right. And right. surrenders and, uh, right. And, they, and they thought he would come peacefully. You know, they hoped that he, that he would come peacefully and, uh, and he didn't. Um, but you know, the other, the other side of the coin is, do you let a guy who you now have reason to think, uh, is, is definitely a suspect in, in one armed robbery in Houston, right. uh, and suspected in, or a possible suspect in two here, that's three armed robberies that you think he may be involved in. Do you let him go and, and run the risk of him offending again right. in the meantime when you had a chance to stop him? Um, if that ever came out that they let him go and then something else happened, that would also be criticized. Um, and right. I feel that that's what the advocates of the officers and even the professor, um, yeah. Jack Alone says that's kind of the, the tough position and that's policing business. And, uh, and Jack Alone in our conversation even used the term um, – you know that that uh, you know policing isn't always pretty, and yeah. uh, and this is a particularly uh, bad example of how of of how things can can devolve and how quickly they can devolve. Yeah. Well, um, we'll keep watching uh, this story in the next few days to see what what more we learn about it. I should mention this came at the close of a very violent weekend. I don't think we have time to recap all that here, but this was a kind of a discouraging start to the carnival season. But um. And it, I mean, it brings to mind, um, I mean, it's certainly the fear is that if we're in store for a repeat uh, of last year's uh, Fat Tuesday celebrations in New Orleans where um, three people were killed, I think five others were wounded in three separate shootings. And um, and certainly officials are, um, are, are saying that they're confident that uh, a repeat will not occur and that they're prepared for it. But I mean, I think... Uh, and just to be clear, none of this was... This was what happened on Sunday night was not carnival related. And no, way, it's just... no, it's close to where the parades roll by, though. Um, right. And uh, and I think certainly knowing that the big the first of the two big uh, carnival weekends are are coming up. I, I know it seemed that that was looming over mm -hmm. over uh, yesterday's events. All right. Well, thanks for uh, spending a few minutes explaining this to us, Ramon. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. The Neutral Ground is brought to you by Gardner Realtors, with music provided by David Bodie. We welcome your feedback and your ideas for future shows. Email me at grussell, with two S's and two L's, at theadvocate.com, or call me at 504-636-7437. Hope to see you next week.